KBYU-FM, HD2, Provo. Not a morning person? Well, then you obviously aren't listening to The Morning Show with Marcus Smith and the team. They can get any day off to a good start. Tune in for intriguing interviews, today's top stories, and a few laughs in between. Hey there, <laughs> The Morning Show. Break a leg. <laughs> now, now, The Morning Show. Join us weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern for The Morning Show here on BYU Radio. Talk about good. For the best in BYU sports coverage, get a front row view with True Blue. Tune in to Dave McCann for all the great highlights, insightful interviews, and complete game recaps. This season, True Blue airs a half hour later on Mondays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 Mountain. With in-depth reports about athletes and coaches, plus guest appearances from legendary players and media, We'll keep you in the BYU Sports Loop. Get a front row view with True Blue on your home of the Cougars, BYU TV. You might tune in to Traveling with Eric Dowdle for the tips, the trivia, or for the picturesque descriptions. But personally, my favorite part has to be the stories. I was in the water no longer than, I don't know, 20 seconds and surrounded by turtles. Face to face with this turtle, and if he reaches out and takes a snap of me, I'm disfigured for turtle a long bait. time. Yeah. I've never heard anybody horrified by turtles before, right? <laughs> well, go ahead and kiss a turtle and see how that works. I mean, this thing was huge. Join us for Traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern here on BYU Radio. Hey, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, do you feel yourself at odds with your spouse? Or how about with your kids or just the people you work with? What if I told you how you approach conflict may depend on which part of the country you're from? We're talking about conflict resolution up next on the Matt Townsend Show, right after the news with Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Barack Obama turned to local TV stations today in an effort to boost public pressure on congressional Republicans to avoid $85 billion in spending cuts set to begin next month. The cuts are part of a decade-long plan to decrease spending agreed upon in 2011. The Supreme Court declined today to retroactively apply 2010 immigration policies that required lawyers to warn immigrants they can be deported if they plead guilty to certain crimes. The decision is a defeat to many immigrants who could have withdrawn guilty pleas. Former U.S. Representative Jesse Jackson Jr. and his wife have now pled guilty to charges related to misuse of campaign finances. The charge shows over $750,000 were used by the Jacksons, Jacksons for personal expenses. Another former congressman also made a confession today. Pete Domenici, Domenici excuse me, admitted today to having a child out of wedlock over 30 years ago. The mother requested the child be kept a secret from the public eye as she is the daughter of a former Republican colleague. Public approval ratings of Congress are still dismal. A new Gallup poll released yesterday shows the nation's lawmakers have just a 15 percent approval rating and a whopping 81 percent disapproval rating. The worst part of it, those numbers are up from January. In world news, police testimony today gave accused killer and former Olympian Oscar Pistorius defense a boost. Authorities say there are no inconsistencies with his story that he accidentally shot his girlfriend thinking she was an intruder. Bulgaria's government resigned today in the face of growing protests and falling living standards. Bulgaria is the poorest nation in the European Union with earnings less than half of the EU average. 
British Prime Minister David Cameron paid a visit to an Indian massacre site where British troops killed over 300 Sikh civilians nearly a century ago. Cameron called the massacre a shameful event in British history. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can every day to give you a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. You know, our lives, we didn't come with an owner's manual. In fact, we're still trying to figure out our new model, Skyboy, and uh, figure (laughs) out what is going on with him. Our new model? Yeah. Like, like you're, my, you're, like a, you're like a Ford Taurus. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Science um, experiment. We were, we were just talking about how Skyboy had a really hard day on air yesterday, and uh, we laughed really hard at him. Yeah. Anyway, if you ever listen to Skyboy <laughs> on the air, and it seems like he's not quite there, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we love him nonetheless. That is so terrible it's to terribly say. terribly true is what it is. So Skyboy, uh, everything good? Everything's good. Still alive and well? Still alive and well. Like the cape? Purple's good this Thank time. Thank you. Thank you. Decided <laughs> to mix up the colors. <laughs> it's, it's really hot. Uh, everyone's out of the office. What's the deal? I know. It's like vacation in Did the middle they, of the week. I didn't get a memo. Mm. Hmm. Why, yeah. why do they just leave the really the core, really good people here to do it? Ooh, that's a compliment yeah, and a diss at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, today we got a big show. Today we're going to talk about conflict, and I'm doing this show today because I think um, there's a lot of tension between us. We I, fight a lot. I agree. Um, and I'm I'm kind of getting tired of it. Um, but the sad thing is, the people that really need to hear it aren't here today. Oh. <laughs> I think they're listening at home. Probably not. Probably not. No, Bryce is on the slope. He's like skiing. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. skiing. And Rob's, Rob's driving in a car. in traffic and yeah. having the time having of his time life. Of his life. <laughs> in a big traffic jam in L.A. Oh, a dream come true. Uh, well, anyway, we're going to talk conflict today. We, we're going to uh, – we're still going to hear a nice rant from Bryce. And then if we have any time at the end, we're going to have Skyboy talk about his love life. Ooh. <laughs> Which easily ought to fill, what, a minute? <laughs> Maybe. What do you got for us, Sky? Anything so exciting terrible. going on with your life? Uh, with my life, um, not really right now. Well, you know, I, he got those new Superman pajamas. I know. That's those? neat. And I think it's neat you wear them because a lot of kids wouldn't wear super... You, know. you guys you guys yeah. keep bringing up Batman and Superman, but my favorite superhero is actually Spider-Man. Really? Mm. Yeah. And Why? I, would, I would tell you some stuff that I have, but I'm not going to. No, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to give it all away, yeah. do you? That's I, I just so think sad. Spider-Man's the coolest. I think I think I relate to him. How? How? Well, How do you, more, well okay. So Bruce Wayne, he's a billionaire. Yeah. And I'm not a billionaire. No. So obviously, and I'm not as smart as he is. Yeah. Have you been bit by a spider? I haven't been bit by a spider, but like as far as Peter Parker, yeah, like just student. an average college, just student. an average college student, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, and so I just feel like I'm I I uh, you know. That's relate weird. to him more than can Superman you, or can you Batman. Just, can you just climb up a wall? Well, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One parkour. Of his <laughs> I forgot he, he does parkour too on the side. Yeah, we should have a Matt Townsend talent show and he can climb we, the walls. We should. I'm afraid I'd like to. It's just I'm afraid none of you would show. because <laughs> Well, not because you don't have talent because every time I invite you to do something, only Skyboy shows. 
That's right. <laughs> or Spidey. Spidey. Yeah. Well, also, also, real quick on the Spider-Man thing. Yeah. Um, in the new movie, he skateboards a lot. Are and you I, a and I, I used to skateboard all the time. Really? Like, yeah. Did you ever have a head injury? I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't be remember. nice, Matt. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that, that. I'm not. I'm just wondering. I'm not saying. Probably. Honestly, probably. I didn't know you were a boarder and you're a guitar player. Yeah. And you're cute as can be. One of the girls said exactly. the other day. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, that was Merit. Merit. <laughs> she just goes, uh. She's like, keep me out of this. Year. I'm just the intern. Do not make, don't bring me in. My mom will have to explain it to my mom. Today we got a really cool guest. We'll bring him on. His name's Dove, Dove Cohen. He's a professor at University of Illinois. And uh, he's going to teach us that maybe you learn your conflict resolution kind of approach to life culturally. Depends maybe on where you're raised. And where your ancestors may have come from. Interesting idea. So we'll get into that. But before we do, we like to do this funny thing called the human headlines. Real news that affects real people. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Human headlines. Thank you, Rob. Um, <laughs> who's out of the office. <laughs> but uh, the human headlines is where we, uh, we address the good, the bad, the ugly. We go to all the news um, and just try to pull out... Two or three stories that are uniquely human or interesting for the human race, and then learn what we can and laugh as we go. Who's got the first headline? All right, that would be me. So, you know, like 7 Eleven. Yes, I remember love loving place. to go there because of their Slurpees. Um, have you tried their um, nacho cheese? I have not. Have you wow. gotten the free slushy on July 11th? Because it's 7 Eleven. Yeah, yes. we tried that. Mm-hmm. It was full. It was uh, full. The place was oh. packed. So, you didn't get any? They were slushy less. Slurpee list. You should have been like, I'm Matt Townsend. I Let did. me get to the front of the line. Like, Sir, we need you to leave. <laughs> this guy thinks he's important. No. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this guy? No. But um, you know how you know, when kids are younger, they love sugar. Yes. And so this owner of a Provo seven uh, eleven is giving away Slurpees if the kids read a book. So what? he has these books on the side near the front of his seven eleven. And um, he tells them, okay, if you take one of these books, go home, read it. He lends the book yeah, out. Yeah, he lends the book out. And if they bring it back and then tell him about it, then they can get a free balloon or a Slurpee. What a stud. That is awesome. I know. It's what really cool. What books does he talk about the books that he lends out? I mean, it's a big deal to lend a book out. Yeah, they're children's books. Holy cow. So these are just youngins. Mm-hmm. Like, so if I'm a college kid and <laughs> I read one not. of his kid books. I think you can afford the Slurpee, but, you know. <sighs> Never fair. Never fair. What a guy. Now, what's his name? Because I want to give him a shout out. That's that's somebody that's taking the change on himself, right? He's going to just get kids reading one Slurpee at a time. Yeah, his name is Todd Hansen. Todd Hansen, hero of the day. That's my uncle's name. Really? Is, yeah. Does he have oh, a Seven yeah, Eleven in Provo, Utah? I don't. Not that I was aware of. Maybe he does. He would Maybe tell he you. Hook Maybe he doesn't with... want you to come. <laughs> It's like awkward. <laughs> He's like, I don't want my nephew with the tights, the spidey tights, to come on in. That is a really cool job. Todd Hansen, changing the world, one Slurpee. To t- By the way, would you read a book at age eight for a Slurpee? Oh, yeah. I read them normally, but, you know, get a Slurpee out of it, I'd read even more. Really? That's cool. I actually read a lot as a kid. Did you? Yeah. What I read, like, I read Redwall book? and Animorphs. I haven't heard of any Ooh, of those. I remember Animorphs. That was cool, I read huh? those, yeah. And you, like, flip the pages and, like, the person morphs, like, yeah. in the corner. Ooh, that was I, really cool. And do an that. animal. 
Really? <laughs> Matt's like gazing. <laughs> He's gape, like, what? Wide-eyed, gate mouth. <laughs> like, yeah, my what books is just this? had words on them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't read a lot as a kid. It shows. Yeah. But it's oh. okay. You're a doctor now. So. I'm a doctor now. I didn't, uh, I didn't read. I was, um, I was too busy working. <laughs> I was a child star. <laughs> no, but that's, oh, that's interesting. Okay, good. Well, a little Slurpee for the little tykes. If you want an opportunity to have that Slurpee opportunity where you can read a book and get a free Slurpee, just drive to Utah. Find the Provo Slurpee, Provo 7-Eleven, you'll get everything you need. Okay, Merritt, you got something for us? What's your headline? Or who's next? Skyboy? I've, I've got one if you want Let's me to see go it. next. What's you got? Okay. Um, have you seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yes. Have you seen that, like, remember the killer rabbit? Yes, that big rabbit. Okay, this is coming true. There's no killer rabbits there that are? are attacking cars at the Denver airport. Ooh. So they say there's just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fluffy bunnies. Oh, cute. That are invading the parking lot of the Denver International Airport. Have you been to the Denver Airport? I have many times. In the middle of nowhere. Yes. So that's what the rabbits are mad. Yes. Because they, they took their land, their exactly. homeland. Okay. They're very upset. And so what they are doing is they're going to the customers' cars in the parking lot and they're like chewing on the wires, <laughs> and which caused thousands of dollars yeah, in damage. Not good. That's and, why you don't. You know, you've got to protect your wires. Got to protect your wires. And so they are trying different methods to get rid of the rabbits. Yes. And so far they have used fox urine. Well, hold on. <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> okay. It says here. That's fox- got to really make them. That's got to make the fox really mad. The fox? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be upset too. So they just kind of spread the, I guess, the urine around and it yeah, keeps it says, the rabbits away. Yeah, it says it, it can deter the rabbits. Yeah, okay. That's one away. way. <laughs> yeah. The other way is they're trying to like, they're building like nearby perches for like eagles and hawks. Oh, to interesting. try and bring eagles and hawks. Yeah, that's what you want to do is bring an eagle and a hawk closer to a 747. <laughs> that, <laughs> seems like, that seems counterintuitive. I feel like they should be using silver bullets and garlic. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't that make more sense? Yeah, I They've think that's be vampires. Keeping something isn't from that us. vampires? Well, I don't. I don't know what a silver bullet is. Well, isn't that what kills like a monster? Yeah, a they sound bullet? pretty monstrous. I didn't know bunnies were capable of that. You know what? I think all you need to do is just throw out some um, bait. <laughs> some bait, and they'll just all go. Just th- hey, throw them a little carrot with a rope tied to it, <laughs> and then when they eat it, you just yank on them and you pull them in a hole. Okay, you might you, you might need hole. you might need more than just one little carrot though. Ah, you could get a bunch. Just get a bunch. You know what I would get? I'd get a really I'd get and we talked about this in our pre-show. I would get a I'd get a bigger animal that could chase like I guess whatever could catch a rabbit. Okay? Then you get a bigger animal to catch that animal that was chasing the rabbit, and then you get a hunter to take out the big animal. Boom. Problem solved. <laughs> Four levels deep. Tons of employment for a lot of people. You should tell the Denver International Airport. I, don't, I have a feeling they won't listen to me. You're a doctor. I know. I keep telling them <laughs> that and they don't care. Isn't that interesting? A little rabbit. And who would have thunk it? Who would, thought, who would have thought that you could move an airport, put it in the middle of nowhere. All the rabbits of the world that live there are ticked now. They're coming back like zombies, walking like zombies down the tarmac. It's like, it's like Bugs Bunny, though. Every time, like, somebody tries to invade Bugs' space, he doesn't take it and he fights back. Yeah. And he always wins. Well, and see, so if, yeah, obviously this is a younger generation that doesn't understand Bugs Bunny, though, because <laughs> if the, the older generation understands you don't win You don't win Bugs. against Bugs Bunny. No. 
You can't. No. no. Elmer Fudd tried forever. The only one that I think beat Bugs Bunny was Lola Bunny. And I know this because of Space Jam. Yeah. But, see, but Lola, she's another bunny. But she didn't beat him on a level playing field. Right. She, she, she used his, seduction. His heart. Yeah. You could, so there's a rule for you. Maybe they just need to seduce the rabbits away. <laughs> Good luck on that one. <laughs> okay, I don't know how you do that one, but it's not going to be normal. Uh, Marriage, you got a story for us? I do have a story. What you got? Well, you know how there's an app for everything. Yes. And recently there have been a new trend in apps to help you solve all of your problems in your really? relationships. What? Yeah. A relationship app. Relationship apps. Some of them remind you to say nice things to your significant others. Yes. And other ones say... They will help you reach goals that you have in your relationship. My favorite one is called Fix a Fight. Fix a Fight. And I, had, I used to have Fix a Flat. Is it like that? <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you yeah, about it. Yeah, tell me about okay. it. So the, both people have to be in the room using the app, and then the app will have you rate how angry you are. I'm a nine. I'm ticked. <laughs> and then it will have you describe your feelings and then ask the other person questions. Interesting. And then rate your anger again. And it kind it of walks down. them through. It walks them through. Is there like is there a fail part where so if you fail that it automatically like it rebounds back to and your mother's ugly. <laughs> Does it ever drop back to like a really bad insult? All I'm hearing through so. this is that now we're not going to need therapists. Matt Oh jeez! Because all they all they you need to what? do is download the app, and all their problems <laughs> no, can be solved. <laughs> yeah, they'll just all go to Denver to help with the bunny thing. <laughs> so, I don't know. They do have to be in the same room to use the app. So they have so to use the least... apps. Then they walk through on the apps. And I guess the whole thing that is assumed here is that we're not throwing our phones at each other before. Yeah. And that you have a phone that can have the app. Because I don't have one. That would be a problem. Well, you're also either. not married. I'm, yeah, okay. That's true. Okay. And so, <laughs> and it, at this rate, I, I think you'll have a phone before you need it. <laughs> anyway, that sounded rude, but um, totally true. So that's, that's cool. I like this idea. That's yeah. really, I mean, imagine the day that you don't even have to have a fight with your spouse anymore. You could just make an app. And my app the would app fight would with her. fight. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? We're talking about conflict today because conflict is honestly, many times it's that predictable. That's probably why they think you can use the app because conflict's fairly predictable. Most of us fight pretty much the exact same way over and over and over. And then what's really good is we get really good at being really bad. You know what I mean? You master being horrible at something you just shouldn't try to be that good at you're looking like you're confused <laughs> i'm just trying to think what what i'm what i've mastered and i can't figure it out oh dude seriously so maybe you can enlighten me <sighs> Skyboy, you've mastered being the greatest no i thought you were talking about bad things oh, oh well you used to be a horrible board op and now you've mastered now it mastered and it. now you're great at it thank you you're a great board op and to the you. point that now everyone asks you questions yeah and when we're starting our show to the point that you're working on everyone else's show so good to have you be such a good board op. I liked it when you were a bad board op that was always in here, and now you're a good or board op. And Thanks, Matt. Never here. You really, but see, isn't that interesting? We get really good at being bad. We get good at doing silly things. We used to be able to only kill people. Like we could kill a million people with one bomb. Now we could kill a billion people with one bomb that doesn't even that just spreads anthrax. You know, wow, this conversation is just so uplifting. No, it's but not I supposed just... to be edifying. It all started with the killer bunnies. <laughs> the killer bunnies. It's, we're talking about the complexity of 
um, conflict. Okay. Huh? We got a great guest that'll be coming on. Uh, Dr. Dove Cohen is his name from the University of Illinois. He's going to show us that, you know what, perhaps... Uh, perhaps your culture, where you're from, may be one of the influences that's driving how you handle conflict, how you think about the right, the wrong, the culture behind how we have a fight or an argument with somebody. We'll be coming back with him, but before we're going to take a break, after the break, I think we're just going to listen to a little rant from our own Bryce Tobin. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. What do you tell your dry cleaner when you bring them your solar-powered clothing? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. The sun gives away for free between 3 and 6 kilowatt hours per day per square meter. That's what makes solar power so tempting and what drives people to keep inventing and perfecting ways to harness that free energy. But solar cells are hard and brittle and expensive. What if we could make a solar power fabric? University of Maryland researchers thought of a novel way to make that happen. They altered the formula for making optical fibers and created an optical fiber that is also photovoltaic, solar energy collecting fiber optics. Being a flexible fiber, these solar collectors could be woven into flexible cloth. A suit made of that cloth could gather enough juice to power all the modern tech toys an average person may carry. Such fibers are also able to detect laser radiation, so solar clothing might also link to your personal cell phone using power and data picked up by your coat. A soldier wearing it could be warned of a target laser shining on him, even if it wasn't visible. If you have grant money, they're still working on getting those shoes to match. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Get your business in the game and sponsor Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about conflict. Have you ever had any? Have you ever had a conflict and you knew that uh, you were justified to freak out and go crazy on somebody just because, you know, they called you a name or something? How about uh, do do you believe that it's possible that if you were in different parts of the country or different parts, maybe even of the world, that we might all respond to those conflicts differently? We're going to be talking uh, in a, after this next break with Dr. Dove Cohen from the University of Illinois, and he's going to give us some um, insight into some research that, uh, to me, I think is, it's, it's groundbreaking. It's, it's actually been out for quite a while. He did the studies years ago, and um, it's basically on the culture of honor, a book he wrote. And we'll be talking to him about that. But before we do, our, our good friend Bryce Tobin, you know, he may, you know, he may be specifically talking about arguments But what he has to say fits with just about any sort of conflict. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. How often do your harmless conflicts stay on topic? Well, 
Let me tell you a story. I was 19 and kind of bored late one night. I was on my way home and saw that my neighbor was still up. He was a guy my age and he was a pretty cool dude. I think he was majoring in international affairs or something. The point is he was very up to date on what was going on in the world at the time. And let's not forget he was at the end of his freshman year of college, so he was pretty sure he knew everything. The names and faces change, but the people stay the same, am I right? When I showed up, he was particularly outraged about something that was going on in Iraq. The goings-on of the war on terror was by no means my area of expertise, but I could tell he wanted to talk about it, and sometimes voicing concerns can calm you down. So I asked him about a few things to see if I could get him to calm down. I'll fast forward for you a little bit, and at some point in the process of calming him down, we came to a disagreement. One of us was all, support the troops 100%, and the other disagreed saying that idea came from a bygone era when the draft was still in effect, and now that military service was voluntary, why exactly should we support the troops? Suddenly, my attempt to soothe turned into a bit of a conflict. This started around 11 p.m. Let's fast forward again to 5 a.m. We were yelling at each other, and I stormed out because I had to be somewhere in 30 minutes. On my way back, I asked myself, what happened? We started talking about Iraq, and then the troops, then the topic switched to genuine conviction, and then we just got lost from there. Once I had some time to think about it, the whole thing started with a disagreement, but then both of us got in the way of any kind of resolution. The reality is that there was merit to both our viewpoints. Neither of us were right, but... I have to be irretrievably correct, hence the little career I've built on entirely one-sided rants, and he has to be the smartest person in the room. Besides that, really all we were saying was, I'm bored and tired, and the other was saying, I'm frustrated by current events and my inability to change any of it. These are all qualities that are deeply important to us. That's why this little disagreement turned into a full-blown argument that occupied the space of six, count them, six whole hours. Very much the immovable object meeting an unstoppable force sort of scenario. And this point is where we all eventually end up. There's a disagreement, but we quickly lose the heart of the matter, and the most important thing becomes making sure the other person thinks they're wrong and that they think you are right. By the time you get here, you might be talking about something that has nothing to do with the original topic. Experience has taught me that when subjects get changed, it's because someone either realized they were wrong and would eventually lose the argument, or because they think they can be more right with a different subject matter. Either way, it's ultimately selfish, and the exchange has devolved. We may be using fancy words, but we're no different than cavemen grunting while waving clubs at each other. We both could have ended things and gotten some sleep just by getting at why we were arguing, either by admitting to grumpiness or just letting the other person think they were right. Besides, it's a good rule of thumb that if you have to yell, chances are you've already lost track of the argument, and you should quit while you're ahead. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Good job, Bryce Tobin. Hope you're having fun up on the slopes. Um, really, this the funny thing about conflict, as somebody that gets to spend literally half a day every day of my life helping people with conflict, as well as having my own... Um, I found that most of us really aren't actually present in the fight. I mean, we actually think we are, but we don't. Most of us don't even know exactly how we started this thing, and so we start reacting to our history, our past. We have all this scripting that goes on. Uh, marriage and family uh, kind of guru expert John Gottman calls that um, emotional flooding, and we get all of a sudden we get emotionally charged. Because our fight or flight mechanisms of our brain are kicking in. All of these things are firing. None of us are listening. None of us are really open to being influenced. And the fight goes on, just like Bryce explained it. And then all of a sudden, we're six hours into the fight. And when we're really tired, we start listening. Like, i got to get out of this fight. I'm going to start to listen. You're right. You're right. It was me. I shouldn't have done what I did. Conflict. Do you have it in your life? Do you have it in your relationships? I'd love to get a call from you. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. 
1-855-CHAT-BYU. Are you struggling with conflict in your relationship, and do you have a specific question about how to deal with it? Um, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. If you give me a call, we will give you a copy of my book, uh, Starve Stuff, Feeding the Seven Basic Needs of Healthy Relationships, and then we'll just have you ask your question on the air, and hopefully we can uh, give you some tools and ideas. I know also we're going to be taking a break in a minute. When we come back from the break, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Dove Cohen. And or sorry, Dove Cohen. And Dove is a he's an he's got an interesting study that uh, I think you're you're going to be fascinated by. It it basically suggests that where you're from may impact the way you see the the, the culture by which you deal with conflict and deal with issues, and. Um, and so it, it might be a fascinating little uh, little study for you because maybe a lot of us think it's just always our partner or it's his parents that caused this way to be or it's just because he's a man or it's because she's a woman and so emotional. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just because she's from a certain part of the country or maybe it's that their family was raised with a certain culture. Anyway, it's a fascinating study. Um, Dr. Dove Cohen is going to be joining us. And as, again, I said earlier, I would love to hear from you. Do you think how we handle conflict could be based on the fact from where we were raised, what part of the country we came from, or what culture we were kind of raised in? Do you think certain cultures handle conflict different than other cultures? Would love to hear your ideas on that. Give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. And again, you'll get a copy of my book. Feeding the Seven Basic Needs of Healthy Relationships, the Starve Stuff, if you give us a call on that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be with Dr. Dove Cohen right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For those BYU radio programs you may have missed or even just want to hear again, subscribe to BYU Radio on YouTube. There you can find archived shows from programs like The Morning Show. Just search BYU Radio on YouTube and subscribe. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. In an effort to create more public pressure on Congress to avoid spending cuts looming at month's end, President Obama took to local TV stations today. The spending cuts could harm the recovering jobs market, but were agreed upon as part of a decade-long cutback in 2011. The Supreme Court declined today to retroactively apply 2010 immigration policies that required lawyers to warn immigrants they can be deported if they plead guilty to certain crimes. The decision is a defeat to many immigrants who could have withdrawn guilty pleas. After not being seen publicly for nine months, former Representative Jesse Jackson Jr. appeared in court today to plead guilty to misuse of campaign funds. Jackson spent over $750,000 on personal expenses. Another former congressman also made a confession today. Pete Dominici admitted to having a child out of wedlock over 30 years ago. Dominici says the mother, who was the daughter of a Republican colleague, requested the child be kept a secret. 
Public approval ratings of Congress are still dismal. A new Gallup poll released yesterday shows the nation's lawmakers have just a 15 percent approval rating and a whopping 81 percent disapproval rating. The worst part, those numbers are up from January. In world news, police testimony today gave accused killer and former Olympian Oscar Pistorius's defense a boost. Authorities say there are no inconsistencies with his story that he accidentally shot his girlfriend thinking she was an intruder. British Prime Minister David Cameron paid a visit to an Indian massacre site where British troops killed over 300 Sikh civilians nearly a century ago. Cameron called the massacre a shameful event in British history. Bulgaria's government resigned today in the face of growing protests and falling living standards. Bulgaria is the poorest nation in the European Union with earnings less than half of the EU average. Elections are expected to be held in the near future. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've got a great topic for you today. We're talking conflict and um, the impact conflict can have on our lives, but also maybe even, I guess, the impetus or the genesis for the conflict, how you see a conflict, how you approach a conflict. Is it possible that where you're from in this country may determine how you think and go about handling conflict in your life, with the people around you. We, uh, we've already got, interestingly, a caller on the line that's got a great story, Pat, um, and she, we're going to bring her on in a minute. But before we do, I want to bring on our expert, uh, a man who has studied this subject. His name is Dr. Dove Cohen. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois. He received his doctorate from the University of Michigan, uh, where, he, where he did a lot of this original study about the culture of honor. He ended up writing a book that he co-authored with Richard Nisbet uh, called The Culture of Honor. And uh, we're going to let him describe the research himself. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you for having me on. It really is. It's an honor to have you on. It's funny because you, your your research. I mean, it's it's kind of been noted in in certain fields in psychology and you know the study of culture and things like that. But where it kind of got a really big shine and a little spotlight from the world was in the book um, by Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Malcolm uh, Gladwell has been a great popularizer of. Uh, Social psychology, and he and he highlighted your your study in the book Outliers. Help us understand what the psychology or the culture of honor is, and then I have a woman from uh, who was is on the phone named Pat Diane to tell us her story. She was actually from um, the New England area. Her husband's from Alabama, and mm-hmm. she has she has an insight on this as well. So, Doctor Cohen, oh, just tell us about the research, and then we'll bring her on. Okay. Um, well, what uh, what the research was about uh, was work that Dick Nisbet and I did uh, looking at the culture of honor in the South. Uh, and by culture of honor, what we mean is a culture where insults and affronts have to be taken very, very seriously. Um, so they have to be responded to, uh, and if necessary, responded to with um, aggression or violence. And I, I think the study you're referring to was a lab experiment that yeah. we did. Uh, it was done at the University of Michigan, and uh, we brought in participants who were from 
different parts of the country, um, parts of the north and parts of the south, uh, and they were brought in. And the, the setup is basically the same for all three studies in that particular uh, paper. Um, uh, basically, the participant comes in and is told that... Uh, is told that this is a study about something or other, that something or other changes every time. Right. Uh, and the experimenter says, oh, we need you to fill out this piece of paper and take it down and drop it off at a table at the end of the hallway because I'm not supposed to see it. Right. Um, that, that, of course, is a ruse. <laughs> uh, so the subject fills out the piece of paper uh, and takes it down to the end of a hallway. And uh, as they do... They have to go past uh, a bunch of file cabinets where someone is working, and they have to mildly inconvenience the person who's working there to scoot past. Uh, They drop their piece of paper off at the end of the hallway. They have to come back, um, and this person uh, who was working at the file cabinet uh, very frustratedly uh, slams the file door shut, uh, bumps into the subject with his shoulder, uh, and calls him a swear word. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the one beginning with A. Yeah. Uh, That's a total uh, affront to the dignity and honor of a human, right, in the South? Uh, yeah, and, you know, particularly for the population we're dealing with, right. 18 to 22-year-olds have a, uh, Them are fighting a part words. of their brain. Yeah. Say again? That, those are fighting words. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, a special part of the 18 to 22-year-old brain reserved for, <laughs> for uh, those what happens words. when someone calls you the A word. Yeah. Um, I'm joking about that, of course. But totally. But... Uh, so, yeah, it's insulting to uh, Northerners and Southerners alike. These are, these are uh, men from the North and men from the South alike, but they respond to it in very different ways. So both so, were offended. It's just the South, the Southerners did something different. Uh, their stress hormones were different than the Northerners. Yeah, so... Um, Southerners are more likely to show they're angry uh, in their emotional reactions toward the uh, person who bumped into them. Hmm. Uh, When they fill out, when they do uh, a story later in the experiment, when they can write about anything, uh, they're more likely to complete the story that had an insult-related crime with uh, aggression and violence. Um, If you look at their saliva levels, they have uh, greater uh, uh, greater amounts of a stress hormone called cortisol, and they have greater amounts of a hormone called testosterone mm. that looks to be related to competition, uh, aggression, and dominance. Wow! And they also behave uh, in a more aggressive way. So, in one of the studies, uh, after being bumped at one end of the hallway, a long hallway about 100, 150 feet. Um, uh, we signal um, another person to come out, and uh, this person is walks on a collision course toward the participant. Um, and so basically, we've got it lined with file cabinets, so there's room for only one person to pass. Yeah, the and, gauntlet. Um, that's right. Yeah, it's a game of chicken. Yeah. Right? Uh, and the question is, at what point do does the participant give way to our chicken? Right. Our chicken yeah. was uh, six foot three, <laughs> a um, big chicken, two hundred fifty pounds. Yeah, used to play college football. Yeah, more of a more of a rooster than a chicken. <laughs> uh, and what you find is that 
Southerners who are not insulted, right, who yeah. you know, go back, uh, drop their piece of paper off without incident, um, they're the most polite and deferential group. Of all of the and, groups, they're the ones that are they, – they are the most polite in making space for this guy to come through. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But if they've been um, hijacked, if they've already been kind of threatened, yep. where do they fit? Then it's on. Then it's game on, <laughs> it's is on. it? Yeah, yeah. And they're the ones that get uh, much closer to the, to the chicken before getting out of the way. Interesting. So it, the distance is actually about three feet, but you've got to remember that both people are walking at... Fast um, pace. <laughs> right, at, at, their, uh, at a pace with our person going pretty fast. So um, that actually translates to very little amount of time. So they're getting pretty close to the next guy's face. You know, this um, is even, fascinating, though, because it, the deference shows that the, the Southerners, they have the culture, I guess. Is this the dual honor? I guess this is they're honorable enough to give space when someone's in a hurry. And then they're also honoring their own image and fighting back. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kind of both sides. that. So it's not like they're just broken. It's just they're just approaching it on both sides of honor. But that's true. I mean, uh not all honor cultures are like this, yeah. but in many honor cultures, you see um, a strong sense of politeness. Yeah, uh, I think it was Robert Heinlein who remarked that uh, an armed society is a polite society. Um, <laughs> you got that, so, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, knowing that the other person um, uh, um, could readily take offense and that the consequences are bad. Um, you're less likely to go for, out and do yeah. something antagonistic. Forces the honor, uh, Doctor Cohen. Let's bring on this caller. Um, we have Pat on the phone, and Pat okay. has a story um, that I think might get into this. And then we'll come back. We're talking with Doctor uh, Doctor Dove Cohen from uh, University of Illinois, who did a study and a book. Wrote a book called The Culture of Honor, which um, is basically just the idea that uh, our culture, kind of where we're from are kind of the deeper culture behind what is honor um, may be impacting how we handle conflict or how we deal with other people or how we see things. And we've got Pat on the phone. Now, Pat, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. So were you listening to Dr. Cohen? I was. What do you think about that? Now, you is it true? You're from New England, and you married a husband from Alabama. Right. I grew up in New Hampshire, and my husband was raised most of his life in Alabama. Yeah. What, what do you notice? Do you think there's a kind of a different culture? Oh, there's no doubt about it. The people from the South are extremely proud, but they're also some of the most polite people I know. Yeah. You know, they have incredible morals. Yeah. I cannot honestly say about the North. Yeah. So you see some a difference. And do you see a difference in your own marriage, even how you and your husband talk? Well, I just see that we have different reactions to the same situation. Yeah. It's a big deal, isn't it, Pat? Because you you don't you don't always think that. I mean, and this could be cultural, but I guess that this could also be familial. This could be something he learned in his family. But Doctor Cohen, what do you think? I mean, does this does this does this? And have you found that this this uh, culture of honor gets brought into the family issues, the family conflict issues? Uh, I mean, the culture of honor definitely gets brought into the family conflict issues. I mean, we think family is an important agent of socializing people. 
Um, so, you know, the, the, you have to teach your little boys and little girls a proper way of behaving when they grow up. Uh, and it also actually figures in uh, a fair amount of family conflict, yeah. uh, spousal abuse. Um, so one of the things you can find in, uh, in honor cultures is that uh, when a man's honor is affronted, um, he can sometimes at least partially redeem that honor uh, for this public offense by, um, by hitting his wife. Uh, uh, doing so, some, or yeah, like standing up or, yeah, doing some physical thing. Doing some physical thing and often, uh, often against the wife. Um, Interesting. So we've done studies like this um, with different populations and uh, domestic violence, not just male-on-male violence, but uh, domestic violence of husband-on-wife uh, is also more frequent in honor cultures and is regarded as... Um, even when they don't say, well, that's a great thing to do, uh, it's regarded as more understandable or in some sense justifiable. Yeah, yeah, we all kind of, yeah, with a wink and a nod kind of thing. We all kind of get uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, um, let's, you know what, let's do this. Let's take a break because I want to come back and have you get into to more of this because it's, like, it's not like you're saying the South is just a bunch of brutes. But you're no, saying that no. there's there's a culture there's a there's a culture of honor there that that is is and, and I guess too let's even explain is the culture of honor just the South or is there are there other cultures of it of honor around the country and things like that I'd love you to get into that with us and and explain it to us and then maybe get into when we come back also a little bit about other other countries that are going through the culture I, of honor because I I mean. To me, the reason I want to do this isn't so all of a sudden we're setting the South aside as like, you guys are messed up, but more that conflict is complex and we're, it's more than just a mood and a situation and a male thing or a female thing. It's a cultural thing as well. And we need to understand our own culture. So we'll come back with Dr. Cohen from the University of Illinois. Appreciate Pat. If she'll stay on the line, we're going to get her phone number and send her out a book. If you've got some ideas about the culture of honor or conflict itself, give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. We'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Everybody's got a story about a ride-sharing experience, but we're pretty sure we have your story topped this time. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. After about two years, a tiny breakthrough satellite is retiring, but it's led the way to making orbital science more practical and affordable than ever before. It's called FastSat, and it earned that name in several ways. FastSat was built in record time, from off-the-shelf parts to prove how affordable and capable you could make a satellite. Construction was inspired by a schedule change in launch operations. Due to a cancellation, there was room on board an upcoming Defense Agency rocket mission to carry along to orbit a small, separate payload. But could NASA's Marshall Center and the DOD design and build a brand new 400-pound satellite in just 14 months? FastSat lifted off from Kodiak, Alaska in 2010 inside a special dispenser collar that was part of the booster rocket. This collar can hold and eject six mini-sats like FastSat, letting them hitchhike to orbit. 
FastSat held six experiments, including a tiny nanosat that was launched from FastSat to test solar sail designs. Marshall's FastSat concept inspires the CubeSats of today, showing how to explore bigger by going smaller. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. BYU Radio's Highway 89 features unedited performances from talented musicians. With genres from rock to classical and everything in between, Highway 89 can take you on a musical journey, all from the performance studio at the heart of BYU Radio. Join us for this mixtape adventure with Highway 89, Monday through Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. time to time, we all face relationship challenges that involve friends, family members, or neighbors. Licensed therapist Julie Hanks helps you discover healthy alternatives for dealing with your struggles and for enhancing the quality of your life. Tune in to The Julie Hanks Show, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For updates on the shows, sports, and the rest of BYU Radio's material, like us on Facebook. Then, let us know what you think of the program you're listening to. Give us feedback, ask questions, and connect with other BYU Radio listeners. Just search BYU Radio on Facebook and click like. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about conflict, and as part of that, a concept called the culture of honor, that there are places in the world and even in the United States where honor and having a culture of honor reigns supreme. And sometimes that has really good benefits, and sometimes this culture of honor has some maybe potentially more negative uh, effects when it comes to how we handle conflict. Like when, And we're, we're joined here with uh, Dr. Dove Cohen, a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois, who wrote a book called—he co-authored the book called The Culture of Honor with Richard Nisbet. And uh, Dr. Cohen, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you for having me. You bet. It really is a fascinating thing. And and what you're talking about, again, is there's this culture of honor, and the culture of honor um, is this idea where in order to preserve kind of my dignity, my self-respect and the respect of others, sometimes we might be more prone to act out physically in order to maintain our supposed honor. Um. And, uh, and and that, interestingly, on, based on some of the research you found, is uh, more attributed as like a trait of people that come from the South than the North in the United States. Am I accurate in how we're talking about that? Uh, yeah, the South um, is home to a culture of honor, but uh, that's not the only place you find the culture of honor. It's not even the only place you find it in the United States. Where, where else do you see uh, it in the United States? Well, you see it. I mean, you're going to see it anywhere you find certain conditions holding. Uh, and some of those conditions are that, um, that basically a frontier environment where the state hasn't yet 
monopolized the use of force, huh. and where people have to depend on themselves for protection uh, and let it be known that they're not to be messed with, right? That they're they're that you can't just walk over them. So any place where you have um, any place where uh, you have a lack of adequate law enforcement, uh, and particularly where you have wealth stealable, mm. right? uh, yeah, where we have to protect or drugs, um, or you know, lots of different things that are um, that are portable. Uh, anytime you have this portable wealth, then you have to uh, set out this reputation as someone you don't want to trifle with. Um, so you see it also in parts of the West, uh, parts of the Western United States. Um, you see it in the Mediterranean. Huh. You see it in uh, Latin America. Yeah, you think, yeah. Uh, you see it in our inner cities. You see it in a, in a lot of places where um, you can't rely on the state to protect you. So it's kind of like, in a way, so it, it, it's interesting because it could exist then in an inner city and in the South. Um, so it's not like they're at odds with each other. This is just certain conditions in our society and our culture create this need to protect yourself. And one way to do that is to be so seemingly honorable, I guess, good and dignified and strong that no one wants to mess with you. Yeah, I mean, you bring up the positive. Um, in a lot of honor cultures, it's important uh, to be known as uh, someone who's good for both their threats and their debts. Mm. Right? So um, who's going to make good on their word? So if you cross them, right, you're going to be punished. Right? Yeah. They don't make idle threats. Uh, but on the other hand, there are, there's an upside to honor as well. Uh, and I think you had mentioned Yeah, this. let's get into uh, some of those. Yeah, I mean, if you think about this uh, punishment, you can think about um, the punishment and retaliation for insults as a form of negative reciprocity. Uh-huh. Right? So you did something bad to me, I'm going to do something bad to you, maybe even worse to you. Um, but there's also positive reciprocity, so that... Uh, you know, you do something good to me, and I'm honor-bound to pay it back, right? So I'm more likely to show positive reciprocity to you. Uh, and so in some of our other work, uh, one of the things we've been looking at is that, uh, particularly among people from a culture of honor, uh, it's people who pay back and people who don't pay back. And in an honor culture, the same people who endorse um, aggression in response to affronts they can be the same people who will um, be most likely to pay back something positive, hmm. right? who will go through uh, heck and high water to uh, help out a friend or pay back a favor. Uh, and we have that in, in a lab experiment where um, we looked at people's attitudes towards aggression and then uh, had people... Um, had people return something that was lost to a person who was uh, supposedly in the study with them, and uh, they had to go all over the building in order yeah. to find this person. And one of the things you find is that it's the Southerners who endorse, you know, attitudes of honor, and you have to stick up for yourself, who are also the ones who will go all over the building uh, to deliver this lost object oh, to another person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's true among... No, I was just going to say, I guess, is that is that because um, 
I mean, there's that onto there, and I, as I sit there and think, okay, so you've got the downside that they might be the one that's more likely to go off on a threat or to maybe accept that, you know, let's use physical violence to stop somebody that's doing something maybe wrong or doing anything um, that's offensive. But on the other flip side of it, these are also the people that have got your back in a hurricane or have got your back in a disaster and will, you know, do so much um, even above and beyond the call of duty. Right. I mean, it's payback. Yeah. Right? And it's payback regardless of how um, rational it might seem in the short term. Right? So it may be irrational for me to get in this fight, but, you know, doggone it, my honor is upset and I'm going to do it. And it may be irrational for me to sacrifice myself to do something really nice for someone, but doggone it, you know, my honor is on the line, and I promise to do it, and I'm going to do it. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a different way of um, coding the world um, in terms of payback versus not payback. I love that. Um, it, it seems like, too, you, you mentioned that this is something you see a lot kind of out on the frontier in these, in these environments or the cultures where, you know, our government systems haven't aren't as established. You're not as secure. You still kind of need to protect yourself because you're maybe miles away from the nearest law enforcement. Or, uh, but when we get more into the cities, the the urban areas, and and then I guess it breaks that theory breaks down when you get deeply into an urban area again. You're probably on your own again. Um, but you, I guess you're saying that's probably one one of the reasons why the North. I mean, maybe is it just because the North has less is less frontier. Uh, the North had less of frontier heritage. Yeah, um, we, we we had to unify. We had we created protection being together, and we may not we we may have just learned to smile off the guy calling us a name, uh, but we also may not dare step out and help somebody that's also being assaulted. Yeah, I mean, but think of it not just with uh, North versus South U.S., but with the U.S. and its neighbor to the north. Um, you know, one of the things they say about Canada is, you know, the difference is the U.S. was settled one step ahead of the law, and Canada was settled uh, one step after it. Oh, interesting, <laughs> um, yeah. The frontier had been pacified uh, to a great extent before it was settled. And, yeah. you know, not necessarily true in parts of the U.S. So in a weird way, so the U.S. compared to Canada is more of a culture of honor. That's right. So, That's so right. yeah, like we can justify military action a lot easier. Maybe we can. It, it's right. it's a fascinating yeah, I mean, approach, I think. It, it's striking. Uh, when I, I taught in Canada for a few years, and it was striking when, um, when I brought up the American Revolution. And, you know, our history is that this is a heroic thing. Yeah. But to Canadians, it's, it's the U.S. being a bad daughter. <laughs> really, yeah, naughty Americans right. who were acting up instead of you know uh, trying to work things out with with uh, with Britain. Isn't that fascinating? It's uh, it's yeah, no, a, I, I'm sorry. yeah, it's a, I bet I bet that had to have been weird to hear it from your perspective. Um, well, here's what I'm thinking, Doctor Cohen. I'd love to take a break, and then if if you can, can you hang on one more break and just talk to us a yeah. little bit more? I would love to have you get into, because to me, this is, so there's the downside, I guess, which is we're a little more, I guess, petulant, we're a little more feisty, we're more willing to fight. But there's something else about um, this culture of honor that's kind of on the on the effect of the positive side is 
and, and I'd love you to get into a little bit more about the military, because again, the South does a, a, an incredible job of serving in the armed forces, which is, I know you've talked about, that's connected a little bit to this honor. And then I'd love you to get a little bit more into the political elite research you've been doing. Sure, sure. We're going to take a break. We're talking to Dr. Um, Dove Cohen from the University of Illinois. He is the author of the book called um, Culture of Honor. And he's teaching us that, you know what, maybe your approach to conflict might not just be something just your parents taught you. Maybe it has something to do with the culture you live in, like America or the South or anywhere, maybe out on the frontier. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more with Dr. Cohen right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Travel somewhere new every Monday with artist Eric Dowdled. Let Eric paint pictures in your mind of far-off places and their cultures. If they're dancing, isn't dancer. that kind of an invitation for you to join in? Yeah. That's, okay, that's but no one else did but me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. I was dancing like a son of a gun. Yes, wow. you, were. you were. Join Eric and co-host Dave for Traveling with Eric Dowdled. Weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. After not being seen publicly for nine months, former Representative Jesse Jackson Jr. appeared in court today to plead guilty to misuses of campaign funds. Jackson spent over $750,000 on personal expenses. Another former congressman is also making a confession today. Pete Domicelli, Domnichai, excuse me, admitted to having a child out of wedlock over 30 years ago. Domnichai says the mother, who was the daughter of a Republican colleague, requested the child be kept a secret. Public approval ratings of Congress are still dismal. A new Gallup poll released today, yesterday shows the nation's lawmakers have just a 15 percent approval rating and a whopping 81 percent disapproval rating. The worst part of it, those numbers are up from January. In an effort to create more public pressure on Congress to avoid spending cuts looming at the beginning of next month, President Obama took to local TV stations today. The spending cuts could harm the recovering jobs market, but were agreed upon as part of a decade-long cutback in 2011. The Supreme Court declined today to retroactively apply 2010 immigration policies that required lawyers to warn immigrants they can be deported if they plead guilty to certain crimes. The decision is a defeat for many immigrants who could have withdrawn guilty pleas. In international news, police testimony today gave accused killer and former Olympian Oscar Pistorius's defense a boost. Authorities say there are no inconsistencies with the story that he accidentally shot his girlfriend, thinking she was an intruder. British Prime Minister David Cameron paid a visit to an Indian massacre site where British troops killed over 300 Sikh civilians in 1919. Cameron called the massacre a shameful event in British history. In entertainment news, Sony is showcasing the new PlayStation 4 console today in an effort to preemptively beat out Microsoft's next gaming console. It's been seven years since the struggling electronics giant released the PlayStation 3. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Dr. Matt Townsend, talking to you today with Dr. Uh, Dove Cohen, who's a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois. He received his doctorate from the University of Michigan, and then also went up, he was telling us, taught up at the University of Waterloo in Canada. He's uh, focused his research on the culture of honor, where we, you know, and a lot of the times we see this out in the frontier world, anywhere where you're kind of on the edge of not being supported by the government. Some of those cultures uh, where they don't have the inherent safety, um, they end up having their own honor and they have to grow their own honor, their own sense of security. And this culture of honor may be a driving force for how they handle conflict and even why they do what they do. So one of the things in his study, uh, Dr. Cohen found that in the South, the people of the South very strongly live this culture of honor, where they're out there to protect themselves. If you call me a name, I got to defend myself, even with physical force. And simultaneously, they've got your back. They will take care of you because their name matters so much. And so we're talking about that. Then, then Dr. Cohen brought up another really interesting point, that it's not just always about North and South. People in even inner cities can have also this culture of honor where it matters so much. Your name, you have to preserve your own safety, your own health, because no one else is going to be doing it for you. So you got to make sure you have each other's backs. And I'm wondering if this isn't, you know, maybe the culture of gangs. Is the culture of gangs the culture of honor? Dr. Cohen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Do you what do you think about that? Is the culture of gangs a culture of honor? Uh, I think the culture of gangs is very much a culture of honor. Isn't that funny? Uh, I mean, it seems so, yeah. uh, It may not seem that they're behaving honorably to us. Right, but in their world, Uh, yeah. That's right. That's right. And it's it's a uh, it really is kind of a preservation of your name. Your name matters, and if you're if you're known to be weak, you're going to pay for that in a culture that's that's more in transition. And so you've got to be strong. You got to seem strong. Your word has to matter, and that I guess would in some way mean physically you got to be willing to stand for what you say you're going to stand for. But then I also love the flip side of it. In these cultures of honor, you do have people that watch your back. And in, in the culture of the South, I mean, the South are notorious for being big military support, big kind of pro-America, God bless the USA, we'll go serve our country. Uh, yeah, the South is well overrepresented uh, in the United States military. Um, and one of the things, I, I think the military in general uh, is a culture of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, so military culture is an honor culture. Um, whether people retain that culture after they leave the military is uh, another question. But um, one of the things we've found is that uh, Southerners who have military service, um, there are a lot of good things related to this. So we've looked at political leaders and one of the things you find is that Southern political leaders, um, for example, presidents uh, who've served in the military, uh, who've served in the military, who've spent a long time in there, uh, who've even been in danger in, in combat missions, Southern presidents who've had military experience tend to be rated by historians to be particularly high in character hmm. and integrity. Give us an example. Um, George Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Um, 
on the flip side, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking there. On the flip side, I don't think Lyndon Baines Johnson was a uh, was in the military. He might have been in the reserves, but uh, I'm not sure. But uh, he would be one that historians don't score uh, as particularly high in character and integrity. Hmm. Um, but uh, I mean the the southerners, the southern presidents who've had military experience, they they don't look outstanding in other ways. In terms yeah, they of might be the average, like by education standards or or other standards. Uh, and, and in terms of what they've accomplished domestically, but they stand out when historians rate them in terms of their character and integrity, and in terms of their foreign policy accomplishments. Hmm. Uh, and if you think about what the culture of honor represents, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. That is, uh, in, in conflicts between nations, there is no authority to go to. Right. right. I mean, you are the authority, uh, right? Right. I mean, you, uh, as has been demonstrated many times, the UN seems to be flouted with uh, impunity. Yeah. So, um, you know, there is no, there is no, uh, there is no authority to go to. You have to let it be known that that um, you're not to be messed with. At least, um, at least that seems to have met with success. Uh, historically, mm-hmm. uh, for the United States' interests, um, whether that's true in the present day and whether that's been uh, to the benefit of everyone involved is another question. Um, but historians have rated uh, Southern presidents, military fascinating. high in character integrity. Well, it seems it uh, seems like it might, Doctor Cohen. Be uh, no wonder our country's kind of divided, because there's a certain percentage of the comp- country that's coming from this culture of of honor, and another part that might not that might be coming from no culture of honor, per se. You know what I mean? Like, and they look at it like we're just brutes and uncouth and and have no clue and be more educated and you don't have to fight for it's just a word they're just calling names you can take a name but i mean no wonder we're divided really because we've got all of this history and all of this culture and everyone feels the threat differently yeah and everybody's culture makes sense to them and uh looks strange to outsiders Mm -hmm. so um you know to northerners it looks like the southerners are being rash and uh, taking improper offense at, at name-calling. Uh, and to Southerners, they look at Northerners and can't understand why, you know, why Northerners don't stick up for themselves or have any integrity. Um, how come they let themselves be walked over uh, so easily? That, that's um, fascinating. What about political parties? Because the, the South seems to be, and some of these frontier countries seem to be kind of a Republican bastion. And the North and uh, some of these bigger cities tend to be more, I guess, um, maybe just coming from a different... What, what's the opposite of a culture of honor? Uh, I think... W- I mean, there are lots of things that could be opposite of a culture of honor. Uh, one of them that I think characterizes the North uh, in our uh, more ideal moments is a culture of dignity. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that's a concept that uh, sociologists and historians have talked about where the idea is that everyone has inherent worth uh, that's at least theoretically equal uh, and that can't be taken away from them, right? So you have inalienable worth. Right. Uh, and what that means is that, you know, 
sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, how yeah. could you take away this inalienable, this worth that that's mine for just being a human being? Uh, that can't be taken away by just calling me a name. Right. Uh, that can't be taken away by you know you insulting me. So uh, I, I don't remember who said this exactly, but uh, um, you know, no one can make you feel diminished yeah. without your permission. Isn't that like Eleanor Roosevelt or somebody? I think said it, something either, like that. Yeah, it's Roosevelt or Gandhi. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact source of it. But this could be the core. I mean, this could be one of the key cores. As we sit here, kind of a nation divided, almost evenly divided, you know, Republican, Democrat, whatever you want to call it, big city, urban folk, whatever. It just seems like it might be the battle between dignity and honor as perceived by our cultures. And Uh, we might be entrenched. That that could be part of it, particularly as regards to military matters, particularly as regards to uh, something that's hot right now, which is uh, gun control. Yes, I mean, there you go, yeah. I mean, that's funny, all the frontiersmen are like, yeah, you need your gun, and all the city folks are like, hey, we don't need any more guns. Right. That's interesting. I mean, the, the one group looks at it and says, well, what would you use those for? Yeah. The other group says, what do you mean, what, I, what would I use those Breakfast. For? I use it to get my breakfast every day. It's fascinating, well, isn't it? Yeah. No wonder you've been studying it. I mean, really, it's and it, 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 now. By the way, one thing that I'd love you to this has all preceded, though, if I recall the research. This um, this even goes back to kind of more of our ancestral roots, like the the uh, the countries we may have come from as well. Is that yeah, true? That's, that's uh, well. So that's one possible origin of it um, is that uh, the Southerners who settled the frontier weren't just anyone who settled the frontier. Um, that the Southerners who settled the frontier were particularly likely uh, to come from a certain region of England, uh, and, excuse me, England, uh, Great Britain. Great Britain, yeah. Uh, And this was a particular part of Great Britain that was between England and Scotland, uh, and that for hundreds of years had been warred over, right, with the English coming through and taking it over and uh, raping and pillaging, and then the Scottish deciding that no, this was their property. We'll rape uh, and, and they pillage. Would come through, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and rape and pillage. <laughs> uh, and so, in that sort of environment, right, you develop uh, you develop certain habits of yeah. self protection and uh, defense of uh, family and kin. And uh, those were folks who had an important founding influence uh, on the frontier south. <sighs> fascinating it's uh it's almost like the this so this idea when some couples what, what some husband and wife are fighting about something and i mean it i mean it really is important i guess to kind of understand too that it's not just i mean some people just don't like you just called them a name oh you're saying i'm lazy oh i'm lazy and that very thought in this concept of culture and honor, do you do you see do you see more men buy into the culture maybe of honor, more women maybe buy into a culture of dignity? I mean, is there is there a gender disparity? Uh, so that actually is an interesting question. Um, and if I told you everything I knew about women, uh, we could maybe go for the next minute. <laughs> but uh, you need to study that one more. I guess we all yeah. do. Well, I mean, we do know some things, though, which is that, uh, you know, there's just an effect such that men 
are overwhelmingly uh, greater users of violence, mm-hmm. uh, more likely to perpetrate violence. But also one of the intriguing findings uh, that we had when we looked at some of this research was that, you know, even though Southern women might have been less endorsing of violence than Southern men were, uh-huh. uh, Southern women are more endorsing of violence than Northern women are. Interesting. And the gap, the regional gap between the women, uh, tends to be at least as big as, as the, the gap between the men. Fascinating. So uh, it is truly cultural, right? I mean, that's that just validates this is a whole culture. Right. This it, isn't it just a gender. Or a, it's great. It's very difficult to uh, have a culture perpetuate itself without 50% of the population. And the 50% of the population doing a great majority of the child rearing, uh, buying into some of the ideas. Then we hand it down, huh? Yeah. Does, um, tell me what this all means for us. I mean, so kind of the human side of this, as a researcher, uh, a human that has to deal with other humans, how, what have you learned about, and what, what has this given to you when it comes to handling your own conflict in life, or evaluating, you know, the political structure of our country. How does it impact you personally? Um, <laughs> I mean, I know you're a researcher, and you're not supposed to have a personal feeling. I get that. No but personal feelings. No personal feelings for psychological researchers. But right. it has to impact your own life and how you see the world and kind of how you manage the expectation of conflict in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, uh, has been most useful to me in uh, the research on culture um, is actually some of the stuff that we we haven't touched on, um, which is uh, conflict and signaling, how we tell each other that we are angry or not angry. Oh, interesting. Uh, and you had brought up John Gottman mm-hmm. earlier. Uh, I, I don't know if you've had uh, Professor Gottman on the show. No, not yet, no. Uh, But one of the things he talks about is a particularly dangerous pattern tends to be this pattern where there's withdrawal. Uh Uh-huh. Pursuer, withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's sort of no reaction until you get a big explosion. Yeah. Um, That actually was something we found in our research, too, um, that uh, Northerners and Southerners handle conflict differently. Yeah. with Northerners being more likely to uh, try and confront something that uh, isn't a clear insult, like the A word that we talked yeah. about. Yeah. They would actually directly say would, something like, what did you say? Yes, right. They're more likely to, to jaw back at the person. Hmm. Um, so we expose people to times when they were repeatedly provoked, right? Nothing, nothing really major, but uh, things that were annoying. Right. And... Northerners um, tended to respond to um, these annoyances with um, sort of escalating anger uh, until at some point, you know, it just wasn't doing any good. It wasn't stopping yeah, like the a person ch- from annoying them. So they were kind of doing uh, it as a technique to get something to stop. But if that technique didn't work, they'd back down. Uh, well, they didn't back down, but they just sort of leveled off. They stopped escalating. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and what happened 
for the Southerners was they would tend to lay low, lay low, lay low, and you wouldn't see much response. Oh, no. Uh, Charging their batteries. (laughs) Uh, Or something like that. I I mean, there's a number of different interpretations. But um, when they did show anger, which, you know, was as the thing went along, it tended to come along uh, much more explosively uh, and tended to uh, end up at a much higher level than it would have, um, or than the Northerners ever showed. If we had, if um, we invented, if we, if we had found a safer way to get it, to signal that we're having this tension, you mean? Uh, if it hadn't gone to the point where the person had crossed the line mm-hmm. in the sand, which is what it looked like it was happening for Southerners. Yeah. That is, you know, there was very little warning, and then somebody crossed the line in the sand, and then that was it. Um, I, I think one of the um, one of the useful things uh, is figuring out the different styles people have yes. of managing conflict, um, and uh, you know to be aware of other people's styles of handling conflict, especially the one and, in your in your marriage, right? I mean, the one in your house, the one you're sleeping with, the one that's closest to you. We may, we may not be able to understand everyone's style, but for sure, let's try to understand how our closest people around us approach it. Uh, that would be extremely important. Yeah, and that's what and, I love about your theory, in a way, because it's kind of saying there's more to it than any of us are noticing. And yeah, so, so and go it, in and understand it. Yeah, I mean, it, like some of the uh, other relationship researchers have found, it's, you know, it's amazing uh, how many things about our spouses are still mysteries to us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that we just that we just don't get. Um, so true. And, and uh, um, maybe knowing more about this, maybe laying it out explicitly would be, would be more helpful. I love it. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Dr. Cohen. Really, it's, uh, it's, it's phenomenal research. And, and with research, I mean, it's, it's just, I think it's great because it opens our minds and it opens up other questions. There's a lot we don't know about conflict. And uh, I highly suggest they go get, um, or at least th- there's a lot you can read just about your research online, is uh, where can they get the book Culture of Honor? Uh, I think you can probably get it at Amazon. Just on um, Amazon. And my guess is there's quite a bit of used copies floating around as well as new ones. So, That's right. Um, you can tell you're a professor because you're just like, let's get it to them as inexpensively as we possibly can. Uh, well, we teach students, and I'd rather have them buy the used stuff. Better. Yeah, it's better. And all the money on the Plus, everyone stuff. else has already marked it up, so you don't have to do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, Dr. Uh, Cohen, so appreciate you. you. Really, it's been a it's been a pleasure, and uh, I followed your work just from a distance, and I like it. I just like that, that we understand that life's a lot more complicated than we think it is. So appreciate you being with us. And again, go check out his book, Culture of Honor. Get it on Amazon.com. Feel free to buy the used copies. And uh, we'll have Dr. Cohen on again sometime to help us understand a little bit more this Culture of Honor. We're going to take a break, come back, wrap, wrap up the show on conflict. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. One fearless fowl has flown more missions than even some astronauts. Meet Camilla, the rubber chicken, NASA's ambassador to school kids. 
This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In a world of precision high-tech equipment like the space program, you can order up titanium bolts, advanced rocket fuel, or super-efficient solar panels. But there is no procurement system for obtaining a rubber chicken. And yet this toy that started out as an office gag at a NASA project has become the agency's unofficial ambassador to school children and civilian space events the world over. Nicknamed Camilla, the rubber chicken began as an unofficial mascot for the Solar Dynamics Observatory team, where she was often photographed next to equipment being used for solar science. Now she's flown in F-18 jets. She's floated with a balloon to the edge of space. She's in line to ride a Soyuz rocket to the space station. And a funny thing happened. As Camilla's photo kept popping up in various NASA aircraft and experiments, she gained popularity with the public, particularly kids. Camilla is the biggest rubber chicken on Facebook and Twitter. Astronauts and scientists visiting schools bring Camilla along to break the ice and make talking to real space experts less intimidating. Everywhere she goes, Camilla opens a conversation about science. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, everybody. We're wrapping up this show on conflict. I really do appreciate uh, Dr. Cohen. That research, um, again, it's not saying the South is so bad and the North is so good. It's saying we're different. And we have a different culture. And there's some of us have a culture of honor where our job, our desire, deep, profound inside of us, we want to preserve our honor. And um, some of his research substantiates the fact that it doesn't matter if you're just down in the south on the front, you know, down in the bayou where you're all alone and you got to kill your dinner that night. And no one's going to come. If you know, if you lose an arm to an alligator, you're pretty much on your own till tomorrow. Um, that creates kind of a different mentality that you're only as good as your name. You're only as good as your ability to defend yourself. And the quicker you hit, the harder they fall kind of an idea. Meanwhile, that same concept of honor um, also is what gets these people to join the military, to change and to be willing to lose their lives to pre- preserve and protect their neighbors and the people around them. This culture of honor is a big deal. I see it personally in marital relationships, and um, there's some great research by a woman named, woman named Deborah Tannen who wrote a book that's called You Just Don't Understand the Differences Between Men and Women and How They Communicate. And she even gets in a little bit that sometimes when men are talking, in a way I heard kind of this idea of the culture of honor that uh, don't don't tell me I'm bad at something because, you know, I'm going to have to defend that. And so then I get all escalated and, and we start to fight. Um, we're different. Everyone out there is different. It's There's not just one culture of honor. There's countries that possess it. It's also interesting to me. I truly believe you can go from one swing from the South who have maybe a culture of honor to some inner city Chicago neighborhood where they too are on a frontier and it's dangerous and you're only as good as your name and your ability to defend yourself. And I believe that culture of honor exists there just as much as anywhere else. This is probably why so many of us are willing to, um, to kind of, to kind of maybe risk it all and lose so much simply to defend our own honor. It was interesting too. when Dr. Cohen brought up the fact that how the Canadians look at the Americans as a culture of honor, where we're willing to go to war with all these people and 
fight for our freedoms and our rights. And um, I guess in the end, here's the assignment. I suggest you assume everybody has a, a different approach to conflict and everyone's approaching it from their perspective. Instead of trying to just be mad because they're mad or trying to match them because they're angry or, you know, you called me a name, we need to start identifying and understanding how we approach conflict. How do you personally handle the conflict in your life? Are you one who is easy, easily uh, angered? Are you one who will get in someone's face and start pushing back? Have you ever been sent to anger management class? Um, have you ever probably maybe crossed a line in your relationship where because somebody questioned you, you felt the need to defend even maybe to the point of verbal abuse or emotional abuse. And I need you to pay attention to that and ask yourself, what is it like to be in a relationship with you? If you're out there driving truck and you're just sitting there by yourself, going to see your family every two weeks or whatever, do you feel like you're coming from your life from a culture of honor? And is that what you want most? Can you have honor without intimidation? And can you have dignity without complacency and allowing somebody to be just taken advantage of? There's probably no perfect culture. The culture, the best way, I think, to lead our lives would not be by just stereotyping one culture over another, but starting to identify what is it that I have? What do I bring to the table? Can my wife give me feedback? Can she question something about me without me going crazy and being upset? And... um do I and are you the kind of person that would rather choose nice quietness without any conflict over having an, an effective relationship where we have feedback? Long-term relationships demand that we learn to deal with conflict. The number one killer of relationships, folks, I don't know if you know this, it's not having conflict. Healthy couples can have conflict. The number one killer is our inability to deal with conflict effectively in our relationships. So stay tuned to this work, to this show and listen to us. Get on my Facebook page. Check out Matt Townsend. We always have quotes, ideas, and thoughts on there. Go to matttownsend.com. We have tons of information there on our blogs. I have an online program as well. You need to get the help to deal with this conflict, but listen to us because we're going to keep bringing you tools. One quote as we leave and go on the road here. Here's the quote. Before you assume, folks, learn the facts. Before you judge, understand why. Before you hurt someone, try feeling. And before you speak, let's start thinking. That's the goal of the show. Give you some tools to make your life a little bit better. Hopefully we've learned something about a culture of honor. And uh, hopefully we can all start living more honorably. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow with more ideas right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You just listened to The Matt Townsend Show with host Dr. Matt Townsend. Today, Matt spoke with Dr. Dove Cohen about conflict resolution. Tune in at 7 p.m. Eastern to hear the show again. Coming up next is Ayers on the Road with Richard and Linda Iyer, but first, here's the news with Sam McCall. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. After not being publicly seen for over nine months, former Representative Jesse Jackson Jr. appeared in court today to plead guilty to a misuse of campaign funds. Jackson admitted to spending over $750,000 on personal expenses. 
In an effort to create more public pressure on Congress to avoid spending cuts set to go into effect March 1st, President Obama took his message to local TV stations today. The spending cuts could harm the recovering jobs market, but were agreed upon as part of a bipartisan decade-long cutback in 2011. In world news, police testimony gave accused killer and former Olympian Oscar Pistorius's defense a boost. Authorities say there are no inconsistencies with his story that he accidentally shot his girlfriend thinking she was an intruder. In entertainment news, Sony is showcasing the new PlayStation 4 console today in an effort to preemptively beat out Microsoft's next gaming console. It's been seven years since the struggling electronics giant released the PlayStation 3. That's the news to now on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. I'm Sam McCall. Ayers on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hi, here we are again. Another week has rolled around, and we've actually not been on the road. We've been on the water and in the air. Hey, we should change the name of the show, Ayers on the High Seas. (laughs) We should. (laughs) Although the high seas does not seem like a great place to be right now after the news for the last couple of weeks. It's this, this crazy cruise ship. I mean, not the crazy cruise ship. I think it was a crazy captain, but anyway. So, yeah, who would go on a cruise right after that happened? But we did, and we had a good time, and we had, oh, what would you say, uh, maybe 300 parents, 150 couples or so that we were able to, you know, say to them, hey, don't only just enjoy the cruise, let's talk about parenting. And there's a lot of boring days out there at sea, so, you know, they're kind of a captive audience. They can't go away, so we got to just bend their ears about how to be better parents to their kids. Well, actually, it wasn't just us, Richard. I mean, there were a lot of people, a lot more important than we are. We had George... No, we had the most important subject. Well, that may be true, but Dr. George Friedman was there, who is a world-renowned economist who was fascinating to listen to. Um, former President Fox from Mexico was there with us, and he Vincente was terrific. Fox. <laughs> and uh, he was so interesting. He's one of nine children and has six of his own and a darling wife, and that was delightful as well. And then we had um, Alex Castellanos. Alex Castellanos. Castellanos. That's who's it. a political operative who ran Mitt Romney's campaign four years ago and is now graduated up to the position of commentator on CNN. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was a great guy. He's a Cuban immigrant, which I didn't realize. Came over with his family as a young boy, and uh, so he certainly knows a lot about immigration and other things that were fascinating to hear him You know what, we'll we'll bounce back and forth to the things uh, we did on this cruise, but... uh, I, I was listening to the opening uh, music and so on today, Linda, and I've never paid much attention. There's a subtitle to our show, Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. And one of the things that, interestingly, that we maybe the reason I noticed is one of the things we were asking these parents on board the ship was, do you think that it is harder to be a parent today than it was a generation ago? And, oh, boy, is that ever a unanimous deal. Everyone says yes. And, in fact, a lot of people are like, well, let's go one step further. It's the hardest to be a parent that it's ever been in the history of the world. 
Do you well, think so? What do you listeners think? Uh, go, go ahead and just tell us. We can hear you backwards. Yeah, through for the sure lines. we can. But I, I can offer the other end of that. I, you know, I think it was harder physically and emotionally. Well, maybe not emotionally because there's so many issues that you have to worry about with your kids now. But physically, certainly, it was harder in those days. And, uh, you know, there was so many things that we don't have now, for example, rampant disease. My grandmother had 10 children and by the time she was 39, and then the flu epidemic came through and she died and took her two babies with her that same week, and they took them out in the night. They, didn't, they couldn't have a funeral or anything. It was so contagious. Lived up in Star Valley, Wyoming, and half of Star Valley died that year and you know those things are tragic those things are so difficult and that we don't have to live with right now i mean we talk about pandemics and that could happen but by and large there's some things easier some things harder well i don't think any of us would want to trade places with our own parents or our own grandparents and so on because there are a lot of advantages today but as far as just how hard it is to raise children uh, I probably agree that it's never been harder, and of course there's a lot of reasons. And, well, one reason is that they weren't thinking about parenting in those days. <laughs> they were thinking right. about help. You know, they got their children so they could have help on the farms, which was certainly the case on both the my grandparents' side. They each had ten children, but they needed the, that help. They need those helping hands. That's totally different. They weren't thinking about being good parents and what can I do and how can well, I get I a child know. to they, stay they might have in bed. Been thinking, and, they might have been thinking about being good parents. They just... They just probably hadn't labeled it as sort of a a field of study uh, like sometimes well, we do today, and they didn't have a lot of books about it. But they they were, you know, they they. I just think what makes it easier then versus now is the simplicity of it all. They they had, uh, you know, especially if you go back two generations to to the grandparents of most listeners today. There were so many less distractions. Imagine, imagine being a parent in an in an era where there were no smartphones, where there were was no uh, television, where there were no video games. I mean, most of the things that parents today say are the biggest sort of detriments to their their children didn't even exist. And so, from that standpoint. Uh, you could be a parent a couple of generations ago and essentially say, these are my kids, I'm in charge of my kids, this is my house, I can design this house, I can design this family culture, and my children will become a product of the culture that I develop here in this home. Boy, oh boy, you can't necessarily say that today. Well, that's true, and, and also, you know, in those days, it was just so different because, I mean, everybody has a good conscience about the way they want to be a good parent and so on. But a lot of them, I mean, they had rebellious children just like we do. They had some of the same things, same issues that we do now. But as you said, Richard, it's just so different now. In fact, I thought what you were going to say leading into this is that one of the other speakers on this boat was a man who had done a lot of research on social media, a lot of research, and one of his comments was that um, 69% of two- to five-year-olds can easily navigate a computer game, an iPad, or an iPhone to get what they want to do, but 11% of that same group cannot tie their shoes. Which so, I thought was kind of uh, irrelevant since kids don't have laces on their shoes today anyway. Well, true. I mean, some of them do. <laughs> Velcro, thank goodness, is still there, but we know what he meant. I mean, it's just amazing to see a three-year-old 
just whizzing through a little game on her mom's iPad or iPhone. And, and we're, you know, not exempt from that when we're with our grandchildren. You know, can I have your phone? Can I have your phone? Because they want to play. They want to do the thing. In fact, I'll never forget a three-year-old grandson once who I gave him my phone during a tennis match so he'd be quiet. And at the end, he said, I think I de-weeded scoops. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I deweeded angry birds, Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you really do. It is a different world. It's definitely different. Well, and by the way, in case some of you listeners are thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this whole show today. They're just debating how hard or how easy it is to be a parent today. So I'm just going to drop a little bomb on you. At least by the second half of the show today, we're going to be talking about SEX. <laughs> Oh, we are. We're going to be because one of the things on this on this cruise, and we conclude this over and over, and it just seems to be universally true among parents today. Most of them, the conscientious ones at least, are doing a pretty good job telling their kids about the dangers of drugs and about how bad it is, all the violence they see on TV and so on. But not near as well are they doing in terms of really having the right kind of big talk with their kids about sex. And we learned some disturbing things on on the cruise. I don't want to jump to that right now, Linda, though, because before we get to that, I just... I, I think this is an interesting... I, I, think, I think the smart parent today essentially says... Let me see if I can say this sort of in a way that sounds dignified and uh, wise... I think the smart parent today says our children or my children are living in a world where they are a part of many, many cultures, and most of those cultures I don't agree with, at least not not in, in, entirely. They're part of a media culture, which is so pervasive. They're part of an Internet culture, which reaches its tentacles out to them in all kinds of ways, many, many very negative ways. They're part of a peer culture where they're so highly aware of their friends. And, of course, that's always been true to a degree. Kids have always been a part of a peer culture, but it's sort of more pervasive today because it's not only face-to-face at school or whatever, it's online, it's texting, it's everywhere around them. They are never away from that peer culture. And so I think the wise parent today says, I acknowledge those cultures. I I will not try the impossible, which is to extricate my kids from those cultures, although I'll try to manage them as best I can and in some instances restrict certain parts of them. But my main goal will be to create a family culture that is stronger than any of those other cultures, and that is a tall order. It certainly is, and but, you know, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, people say, wait a minute, I have teenagers. It's too late for me. I, they are, they're already talking back, and they're already doing their own thing, and I can't control them anymore and so on. And we, we just always say, you know, it really is good if you can start early, but it's never too late. There are some things you can do to um, create a family culture, even with your your kids that are in high school. Because you say to them, look, this is our deal. We, You are only going to be home for two more years or one or three or whatever it is. And uh, we want to create a really strong family culture. So 
here, here are some ideas for you, and we want your input on it. What do you think? How can we do that? How can we keep this family going past the time that you leave the house? Now, now some, of you, some listeners may be saying, what, what are you talking about? What is a family culture? What do you mean? What are you, what are you saying here? And, and, and I think to clarify, a, fa- a culture, a family culture is made up of, of love and unity and relationships within the family, of course, but it's also made up of family traditions and family laws or rules and some kind of a family economy or responsibility sharing system. And it's made up of family meetings and a lot of time together and a lot of effort to really say to kids in various ways, hey, we are a family. This is our family. This is what we do. We support each other. This is, this is what it means to be a family. And, and those efforts, uh, you know, you don't get a family culture by default. You don't just say, well, you know, we live in the same house, there, so we must have a family culture. You build it over a lot of times. And here's a good segue before we go to the break, Linda, that when you think about it, um, even even a thing like talking to kids about sex, the, 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 this very question comes up. Are you going to leave that up to the peer culture? Are you going to leave that up to the media culture? Are you going to leave, leave what they think about sex and how they think about their physical bodies? Are you going to leave that up to the celebrity culture or to the Internet culture? And, of course, all of us are screaming, no, no, no. And and the answer is we need to have our own culture take over and do the preemptive strike and teach kids about the most important things in the world, not abdicate it to these other cultures. Well, of course, the hard part of that is that we have parents coming from different backgrounds. Some parents think, oh, that would be easy. Other parents would say, are you kidding? I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I I, I can't identify with that at all. And then we have single parents, which maybe in some cases 